Happy Thursday, listeners. This is not going to be a normal This is the Bad Place episode where we recap an episode of This is the Good Place, the TV show. Today, we are going to share a Patreon-only episode from last month. Our Patreon community already heard this last month, but we wanted to share on the main feed. We are talking about the book Reaching for the Invisible God by Philip Yancey, a well-known evangelical author who's written a lot of books about what to do when doubt comes up, when you feel disconnected from God, these different ways of coping. And so we shared our own experience with this book and books like it in this Patreon-only episode, and we wanted to share it with all of y'all. Now, if you are a Patreon subscriber, today we have a new Books from the Bad Place episode coming up. We're talking about The Strong-Willed Child by Dr. Dobson, who's the founder of Focus on the Family. So if you want to listen to that and you are a Patreon subscriber, head over to Patreon and listen. If you want to become one, you can find the link in the show notes to listen to that episode. We're not going to regularly be releasing these Books from the Bad Place episodes on the main feed, but with school starting, with an electrician working on our house, uh, we've just fallen behind a little bit and wanted to fill in the gap with some of the other stuff that we've been working on. So without further ado, here is Books from the Bad Place. Hello, and welcome to Books from the Bad Place. All right. Welcome to Books from the Bad Place, a Patreon-only podcast for the Bad Place podcast. And today we're going to talk about a book, Reaching for the Invisible God by Philip Yancey, which probably feels like a bit of a turn from Dobson. Yeah. yeah from Dobson to Yancey? Right. I feel like... Should we give a little insight into why we're not doing another Dobson book today that we were supposed to be talking about? Yes. Let's do that. Okay, it's because we had a huge fight about it, and <laughs> we're not ready to talk about it. Anyways, yeah. we had a big fight about it that is now resolved, <laughs> but I was like, I cannot talk about this book yet, but we will. Mm-hmm. The Strong-Willed Child is coming, y'all. We were just, yeah, we were fighting about Dobson's sort of intentions, which I think brings up something yeah. related to Yancey. Exactly. Uh, so we'll get into this later, but Dobson is an evil person. Um, Oh, really? (laughs) So, you know, you've talked about like... This is what's so funny about being in a relationship with an Enneagram 9, because they will be so chill and then randomly... You convinced me. I I, never said Dobson is an evil person. I know. And so that's why I'm like, and then you always take it like one step farther even. I'm like, this is so interesting. Uh People are interesting. Okay. I overstated it. He is totally evil. I just am like, I can't say that because that'll turn people off. Right. Yes. Uh, I mean, so there's this dynamic of like narcissists and Uh true believers. That's like, feels like. That's what cults are made of. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yes, exactly. And so do you think Yancey is a narcissist or a true believer? Oh, he's a true believer. Uh Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. And this is just my opinion. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. What do you think? I think he is, yeah. I think that he is, um, we'll be talking about this a lot in this episode, like what do you do when Christianity doesn't work the way that it's supposed, that it's been promised, or what do you do when, you know, the like Christianity is harmful to you, which I think is what Yancey 
spent most of his career trying to figure out. Yeah. So you're the Yancey boy in this mm-hmm. relationship. Okay. I mean, I got to say, like, yeah, I named my podcast about attachment attached to the invisible, which was a nod to reaching for the invisible God. Oh, like, I've definitely gosh. been influenced by Yancey. Wow. Um, and we'll get to why that is in a minute. But just to kind of give a picture of who he is, like... He wrote this book, Reaching for the Invisible God, in September of 2000. It In the first month, it sold 94,000 copies, which is a lot that, of copies. In what year? 2000. That's I don't think lot. copies work the same way inflation does, but do they? I don't know. That's a lot of books, though. Yeah, I mean... Before social media. Uh-huh. Right. It was with Zondervan. Mm-hmm. Um, it was Zondervan's first ebook that they put out on Microsoft Reader, oh. <laughs> uh, which is just, you know, kind of brings you back to like, you know, Windows 2000. I can imagine the graphics. Right, that's a lot of hardcover books. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Full In a pri- month. Full price. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. For $22. Jeez. I mean, that. And 22 That's think- a lot of money back then. Right. Yeah. That makes me think that the price of books has not risen. No, it has. Okay. But it hasn't. Uh Uh-huh. Anyway, uh, he had, like, uh, this book basically is sort of like, what do you do when Christianity uh, doesn't go the way that you've expected it would? You've been told that if you do these things, you'll feel close to God, and then that doesn't happen. Yeah. If you've read my book, (laughs) it might sound familiar. Okay. Like, just as I'm saying yes, this. I'm loving I'm this like, self-discovery that is happening. I mean, let's just put it out here from the <laughs> beginning, okay? I published with Zondervan. I'm no Philip Yancey. Well, I have not had that sort of success. I There are some similarities is what I will say. I mean, here's the thing. Is my agent yeah. for Attached to God was all, is also Philip Yancey's what? agent. Yes. You've probably told me this, but I am literally processing this like it's new information to me. Yes. What? Yes. You're right. So if you're like, this feels familiar. Can I interject something? Yes. In my autistic way? Yes. Because I just want to say that what you are doing right now, even with this little pokey podcast Mm -hmm. that nobody listens to, like you... Being willing to talk publicly about how you've changed, like, is something Yancey could never do. Mm-hmm. And so you're not like Yancey. Mm. Yeah. Does that make sense? Uh huh. Yeah. That's true. I mean, I think that's like the crux of this. Yeah, I is do too. Like, what when you ask these questions, but you already know what the answer. You already have to come to a conclusion. And Yancey is interesting because he really positions himself as a doubter and. Um, you know, like kind of halfway in, halfway out. And at the same time, I mean, you know, like that's how he writes about himself. You know, like he says, like, some days I don't know if I believe in God at all, blah, blah, blah. And yet, at the same time, he spent 30 years working at Christianity Today. Yeah, wasn't he like the main editor or something? Yeah, he was on the editor. He was an editor at large on the editorial board of Books and Culture. Like, like he was like a power broker. Right. It, exactly. For evangelical Christianity mm-hmm. for many, many years. And definitely cultivated this reputation as like, yes, I'm a safe person because I talk about my doubts. Right. Did anybody ever take a step back to be like, but you always end up reinforcing Christianity. So 
how much can those doubts really be there? You know? Mm -hmm. And I think, too, that he... Even in this book, he'll lead... He talks about how he likes to lead with the secular colleges he went to. Like, he really wants to prove that he's not just this insular evangelical, which we see in the book. He references, like, theologians like Moltmann, Niebuhr, uh, Buchner, Thomas Merton. He talks... He references Carl Jung, Viktor Frankl, like... You know, he like steps outside the evangelical bubble. I mean, those are all safe, safe steps out. (laughs) Yes. But I think that's also distinct from evangelicalism at that time. Well, this is, I have my own theory on Yancey, which we'll get to in a minute, but yeah. So, I mean, I think that sort of, but for those of us that read it, you're like, oh, like you're not, you're a safe evangelical right you can look outside of like the boundaries of evangelicalism you know it kind of you still end up in the same place but i think i mean don miller wrote blue like jazz four years after this book i think maybe less but you know it's that same sort of thing of like oh that is wild to uh uh-huh because in my mind they're two completely different eras but they're not they are. I think they're different eras. They're different generations. Yes, definitely. They're different generations, different eras, but similar feeling of like, I'm trustworthy. I don't just believe everything the church says. Like, I can look outside the church. I can like reference people that aren't Christians, you know. I which... have doubts, but then I always come back mm-hmm. to this being the way it is. Right. And so really, like, I mean, he, he wrote this book... For people who are struggling, he included lots of stories of people who struggled and really was just like normalizing this. Like in church, you're told that you're supposed to feel God and it's okay if you don't. Yeah. So what's the what's the central tension here is God is invisible. You're promised all these things in a personal relationship with Jesus and God, and then you don't actually experience it. Is that kind of right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the idea of the invisible God is like you don't actually get messages back. You okay. can't see God. And he talks a lot about how God is different than the gas station clerk, that you can read their facial expressions and have a conversation with them and et cetera. Like God is mystery. Can we, can we take a step back for a moment and just ask ourselves and anybody who's listening along, like, how did you deal with this tension in your own life? Because obviously you dealt with it by reading Yancey books, right? Uh And then I think, I never read Philip Yancey because I was just like, what, God is real. Like, I talk to God in my head all the time. Like, me and God are in a constant conversation. Like, everything, you know, I was Mm -hmm. very much in that charismatic mindset. Now, I had my own issues, but they were much more related to, like, Pentecostal Christianity, like, Uh anguishing about why I couldn't speak in tongues, even though I was doing everything right. You know, stuff Mm -hmm. like that. But that's different than reaching for the invisible God. I was like, God's in my mind. I talk to him all day long. Like that. So Mm -hmm. yeah. And then later on, I think I just slowly dissolved that kind of a a relationship, a personal relationship. But yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think think for me, it was, I read this when I was like 16, which tells you something that like, even at 16, I had figured out like yeah. the way that it was supposed to go wasn't going, it wasn't going that way. For me, a lot of it was, um, actually, I had a charismatic sort of experience. There were people from, they were influenced by the International House of Prayer. I know that's a small niche thing, but for those of you that know, you know. I hop. that's not the pancakes. It's the bad IHOP. <laughs> exactly, where they pray 24 hours Which a I've day. Which I've been to it. 
Uh-huh. In Kansas, yes. yeah. It was a wild, right. it was a wild situation. Yeah. And so um so for me it was like I had these intense emotional highs in this charismatic space. And then I would come back like later Sundays and be like, I don't feel anything. Mm-hmm. Um and so even like I think one of the things that really stood out to me reading rereading this book, um, Yancey says, I've never spoken in tongues or barked in a church. And not once have I been swept up in a public display of spiritual act- ecstasy, which I think a lot of people, is like it sounds sort of like degrading, like barking in church, but yeah. I think he's actually coming from this place of like, other people have these spiritual yeah. experiences that I don't have. It's interesting he mentions the barking. Yes, because you've been in a setting I've like I've been that. in many of those. I can never bark. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that speaks And then I to... just learned like, well, yeah, there's something horribly wrong with me. Right. And that's... I'm glad you said that part. Yeah. Because that is... I never doubted God. So people who doubt God go to Yancey and people who internalize it 100% as their fault, maybe, don't even read Yancey. It's just... No, I mean, I think you were Yancey's target audience. You just didn't know it because uh half of it is like, yeah, do I believe in God doubts? But the other half of it is like... I don't feel anything. What's wrong with me? And he's saying, there's nothing wrong with you. And then he later says, like, maybe it is your fault. Oh. So, but he does sort of normalize it. And he says things like, Martin Luther went a decade of his life just crying out to God, you know, asking that he would hear from God again. You know, like. Yeah, I wish God would have talked to Martin Luther about his anti-Semitism. That would have been great. <laughs> uh-huh. But God never did. Isn't that interesting, Crispin? Isn't that interesting? That is interesting. Um, so he does. Sorry. <laughs> he does. I totally am just you, you getting off, off track. You got off my point. My point is <laughs> he says there are even these spiritual giants, you yeah. know, that have also experienced times. Yes, of, the valorization of suffering. We mm-hmm. get it. We get it, Yancey. Right. And he really. Like he wrote books in the before this, like Where's God When It Hurts, Disappointment with God, yes. which is a lot of like about theodicy of like the theology of suffering, right? Like how do I make sense of a good God when they're suffering, et cetera. I feel like he wraps a lot of that into this book, but then also adds this extra layer of like in evangelicalism, you're expected to have a personal relationship. So what happens when it feels like nothing? Uh-oh. So I'm and, feeling like I need to reread his books now, especially in light of the good place and ethics. It's like, is he one of the foremost ethicists of like helping people come to terms with a really evil, like God mm-hmm. that only saves a few people and promises all this personal benefit when actually it's really hurting you? Well, yeah, actually he does talk about that. He's like, I don't know what I think about hell. In this book, which is interesting, like he, which is, I think, another one of those dynamics where it's like, oh, yeah, he's trustworthy. He pushes up against the like tenets of the boundaries of evangelicalism. Mm -hmm. Um, But I will, I'll spoil it for you. Okay. Basically, he is like, it's like climbing a mountain and you're at the bottom of the mountain. And once you get to the top of the mountain, you will see everything and you will see why everything happened. Like, does he mean when you die or does he mean? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Literally. Yeah. He's like, God is making all things new. No. We can't know it now. I'm like, I have such a visceral response to that phrase. Mm. Making all things new? Yes. Yes, you do. One of the reasons I wanted to talk about this book is because this book and Yancey's work of like, how do I make sense of this when it you know doesn't go the way that I was promised that it would? I feel like, 
a large, large, large portion of Christian publishing right now is focused on this is fo- in all these different ways. Right. So like whether it's like, yeah, like how do I make sense of a racist white nationalist church? And it's like, well, let me tell you, like, that's not really Jesus. That's or, not real Christianity. Right. Or it's like, yeah, I was told that if I prayed, you know, my prayers would be answered. And it's like, well, let me tell you about how God doesn't answer prayer, but it doesn't mean that... Or <laughs> that's sometimes ex- God's answer is no, and sometimes God's answer is silence, Crispin. Exactly. And Did did Yancey pioneer that, or is that just what all Christians said? I think... Uh, I think... Yeah, yeah Yancey's like... God answers the prayers you don't even know you needed. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So looking at this book, we're going to look at, like, how does Yancey make sense of this when in, Christianity doesn't go the way that you were promised it would? In right? reaching for the invisible God. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and again, this was written in 2000, 23 years ago. So basically, Yancey is trying to figure out, like, Christianity is not working the way that it is. I was told it was. Mm-hmm. So many other people feel this way. How do I make it make sense? Yeah. Right? In summary... Basically, he says, like, yeah, if you don't feel God, that's normal. That's And he gives kind of all these, like, ways to think about that, right? One is, like, maybe you're mature and you don't need to have those feelings anymore. You know, like, this is a mark of maturity. So Mm -hmm. if you don't feel God, like, that says something good about you, you know? Yeah, I've heard that. He says, um, maybe... If you don't feel God, it's because you're not making a, a priority. Mm-hmm. So he talks about like, you know, God is there. You just need to pay attention to right. him. In sort of like I a probably, less I probably would have been way. like that. Yeah, I probably would have been like that. Yeah, right. Um, and the, you know, he says the world is broken. And so like we live in a broken world. You're a broken person. You can't expect things to go perfectly. If you expect things to go well, that means you're an immature Christian mm-hmm. that like has a magical view of God. So it's just like change your expectations, you know, just deal. But that's so annoying. Like, weren't we, but weren't we told we'd have peace mm-hmm. and grace and love? Like, and now we have to change our expectation. Like, right? They just it's an ever moving target. Yeah, and I think we're gonna definitely come back to these points along yeah. the way. But the biggest thing, and the reason that I really wanted to come to this book is, um, basically, he says, yes, life with God is hard. It doesn't work out the way you expect it to. It's frustrating. You don't have the inner peace that you were promised. That's coming in heaven. This just sort of, like, sucks now in a lot of ways. But no (laughs) one else is going to love you the way that God loves you. Flashbacks to like miserable married people writing marriage right, books, right? Exactly. I mean, and he makes a lot of like, like he talks about it as an arranged marriage. Like oh, you don't feel Christmas. it, but and he sa- he also says a lot of like, you know, one of the best ways to do it is to act as if it's true. If you don't feel God, just act as though you do. And this is why I think and he said that's what you do in marriage too. If you're not attracted to your partner no. and you don't love them, then just act as though you do and one day you will feel it. Oh my god. This is why this is why we're doing this. Like people have all this like goodwill toward Philip Yancey. I'm like, he has done so much damage. He has mm-hmm. convinced people to stay in abusive relationships 
with you know, God, with, with God and the church and Christianity mm-hmm. and other right. Christians. And that can even play out into marriage and, and other things. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, it's so annoying that we are like, he's such a good guy. I'm like, I do believe he's a true believer, but he's done a lot of harm. Mm-hmm. And he's, by all accounts, is not taking any accountability for that harm right. based off of his memoir, mm-hmm. you know, and his conceptualizing of his life. I, I was just like, oh, no. He's mm-hmm. not doing it. So can I talk about his memoir now? Yes. So I only read a few chapters when it came out. I think it came out in 2001. No, 2001. Uh, 2021. And um, I had to put it down because it was very triggering because he's like talking about his childhood and the book sort of like starts off with him discovering some truth about his dad. His dad died when he was like a baby and, you know, he'd always heard it was because, you know, he got polio and and died or whatever. But it turns out his parents were part of this fundamentalist church. They were going to be missionaries in Africa and were about ready to move. And when his dad got polio and they were like, well, there's no way God is going to kill this man who is dedicating his life to going to Africa to be a missionary. And so his dad was like, there's no way God would do it. So his dad asked to be taken out of the iron lung machine you know, that was keeping him alive. Mm-hmm. And then he died five days later. Like I'm assuming in excruciating pain. Mm-hmm. Just at home. Um, Cause his lungs couldn't function properly. And after that happened, his mom, you know, obviously had some sort of mental illness or something going on, but she kind of went whole hog into the Christianity thing even more and was just like, I'm dedicating my two young boys to the Lord and they will serve God the rest of their life um, to honor their father's legacy. But she didn't tell them, you know, that their dad decided like her and him and the church decided that he should, you know, go off this thing and be mm-hmm. anyways. And so then she put so much pressure on Philip and his brother um, to be perfect Christians. And the way he conceptualizes it is like, yeah, my mom was in this really fringe fundamentalist movement and was really intense and was probably suffering herself. But, you know, it's kind of that story of like she taught all these Bible classes for kids, but at home, you know, she was filled with rage and, you know, so much pressure. She thought Wheaton College was like this liberal bastion you know and mm-hmm. was like so upset when uh <laughs> philip and his brother wanted to go to wheaton bible college instead of this other fundamentals bible college and um can i just read to you something mm-hmm. this is what he wrote in his memoir about what his mom said to him yes when he was wanting to go to wheaton she said i'll do whatever it takes to stop you young man you listen to me if you find a way to pull off this plan i guarantee you one thing i'll pray every day for the rest of your life that god will break you maybe you'll be in a terrible accident and die that'll teach you or better yet maybe you'll be paralyzed then you'll have to lie on your back and stare at the ceiling and realize what a rebellious thing you've done going against god's will and everything you've been brought up to believe and that's a lot wow okay just for wanting to go to wheaton Mm-hmm. And so obviously his mom is super controlling, but it's to me, it was wild that he couldn't see that to see that his mom telling him over again, like you, you are going against God's will and everything you've been brought to believe. Like he was, he was the recipient of such intense childhood indoctrination into Christianity mm-hmm. and he can't seem to see that. And mm. so the rest of his life, he's writing books like this to be like, this doesn't seem good. And in fact, it killed his dad. Mm-hmm. Like this doesn't seem good. And yet he can't break free from this system. And the thing that really bothered me is he sort of like blames his older brother for like becoming a hippie and doing drugs and not talking to their mom anymore. And I'm just like, 
that's very normal for people who were raised by abusive, mentally ill parents. And just because some of these people find their ways to the church, like, doesn't mean they're any less abusive or mentally ill. Mm-hmm. But like within Christianity, of course, you can't talk about that. Right. And it's just so sad to me. And it just read like a boomer guy who has never gone to therapy and mm-hmm. is just making sense of his life by saying, well, Christianity still is good. And my mom was just a fundamentalist. But I'm like, you're a fundamentalist. Like you are a fundamentalist, Philip Yancey. And you've mm-hmm. never fully done that. And I was just like, your mom dedicated you to God. Like you can't leave this thing. You are bound to this by a chain. Like your your older brother seems healthier. Are you saying this proves God is real? <laughs> God I'm is saying, real because she did dedicate him and you've not been able to leave. I'm saying the pressure, and I am somebody who was raised mm-hmm. by a parent who dedicated me to God, partly due to a family tragedy that I am not going to talk about publicly. Um, the pressure of growing up with a parent like that, it's hard to describe. And it is 100% why. I stayed so long in Christianity, wrote my Christian books, did all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, it seems a little personal to me. So I couldn't keep reading it because if he's not willing to do that work, it's like, no, thank you. Mm -hmm. You're still using religion, you know, to not actually deal with all your pain. Uh Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Which really is like helps us understand as we talk through this, right? He had this pressure, seems like an internal pressure, well, and make... external. <laughs> yes. My goodness. Well, yes, external. What I mean is like this internal pressure was implanted, right? Yeah. Like, so in this sense of like, he grew up, he left home, and yet this external pressure still persisted, mm-hmm. right? And so, um, so really, he's trying to figure out like how to make it good. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think that just resonates with, I mean, that's what both of us have done. Mm hmm. Um, and we see this just a lot throughout like evangelicalism, like people are saying, yes, this is not the way that it was promised. It doesn't really make sense, but how do we make sense of it? Yeah. Right. And you and I have talked before. It's just like a lot of these like famous Christians and evangelicalism, like Billy Graham, um, you know, all these people, it's like they... If you look at them, a lot of them had super shitty abusive parents. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just a fascinating thread that nobody wants to camp out on and nobody wants to talk about. Mm -hmm. But Philip Yancey is obviously a great example of like, he had a very, very, very abusive, very Christian mother. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So important. So, yeah, I so I wanted to, like, kind of walk through, like, what are some of the different things that we hear from Yancey okay. in Reaching for the Invisible God? Is it going to make me mad? Uh, maybe. Okay. I think in part, uh, I picked out things that I feel like I'm hearing currently today. Okay. You know, so, like, there's a lot of stuff. Like, it's a whole book. He, it's, like, 24 chapters. Um, but, you know, these are some of the things that really I'm like, oh, I'm seeing this in a lot of, like, current conversation. So... First one is, you know, he basically says, many people who reject God are rejecting not God, but a caricature of him presented by the church. Ah, there we go. Mm -hmm. That is literally what progressives say now. PNs, Uh me and PNs got, I mean, he has no idea who I am, but (laughs) he's saying stuff like this now. PNs, another person that my attached to God agent represents. Former agent. (laughs) Former agent, yes. (laughs) 
<laughs> I do love her. Yeah, I it's will, fine. Yeah, but but um, you're coming out of this world. You mm-hmm. are coming out of it, and other people mm-hmm. remain right. And yes. so we're just naming that. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Let's talk about your beef with. No, PMs. I don't want to. But he said though that similar kind of thing. Mm-hmm. People who've experienced toxic Christianity really, like, aren't the ones to be listened to when it comes to Christianity as a whole, right? Because mm-hmm. their toxic experience has colored it to the point where they don't really see value in Christianity. That's I'm summing up his mm-hmm. silly little Instagram videos, but. That's that's just like what so many people right yeah are saying, and I think that is really common, you know. Uh, um, but there's this like extra layer when people say like, "Yeah, I'm letting go of that, but I'm still holding on to Jesus." <sighs> Does Yancey say that? Uh, I, I mean, I think he says the church. That needs is to get white better. Christian woman Instagram one hundred and one. Uh-huh. I've deconstructed all the toxic things, but not Jesus. I love Jesus. I'm just like. The element of brainwashing, that's the one thing you've held on to. Okay. Mm-hmm. Historical so, Jesus is very different. Like, the person you talk to in your brain. Mm-hmm. like, I, the- Yeah, so I think that's really worth pointing out because there is an element, I will give some credit of like, yes, I can leave behind a white nationalist church or whatever. Mm-hmm. But this still idea of like, I... I'm holding on to Jesus. Like but what within do they Jesus, mean? right, within Jesus is so much ideology that the church holds. So, so to kind of say like <laughs> I'm letting go of all that ideology, but I'm holding on to Jesus is like doesn't actually make a lot of sense. It's like you shed some like maybe like superficial or external kind of surfacey things. Right, but you're still holding the main parts of it, I think. We don't have time to get into this. I'm really worried about alienating people by talking about this, but I'm going to push back on if people are listening and this is uncomfortable for you. Like, what do you mean when you say you are holding on to Jesus? Like, first we came for Yancey, next we're coming for Jesus. Like, a, an imaginary person you talk to in your brain to feel better about life, like. Okay, do you enjoy the teachings of Jesus? Like, well, great. He was Jewish, a Jewish radical. Like, read Jewish people and how they feel about Jesus, okay? Mm-hmm. And then come back to me and and tell me that you've deconstructed everything but not Jesus. Like, right. you need to think about what you are saying when you're saying that because it's actually serving as a dismissal from valid critiques of Christianity and toxic Christian harm. And Jesus has 100% been co-opted by, I would say, Christian fascism. Mm-hmm. And this personal relationship with Jesus stuff like really came to fruition in the 1960s with the Jesus movement that was 100% tied to the religious right. Mm-hmm. So I, it annoys me so much when progressives are like, oh, I've, I've done everything but Jesus, but Je-. I'm just like, that's well, I, the one thing you really need to spend some time thinking about. Like, mm-hmm. I, I enjoy the teachings of Jesus in the Gospels, but like, you have to look at that from a Jewish perspective if you've been raised like us. You just have to. Mm-hmm. And it will radically change you to actually think about a historical Jesus and not this bizarre entity that is in our minds. Well, and I think it's interesting because I run into like psychology therapy spaces where people are like calling like a higher power. It could be Jesus, blah, blah, blah. Right. And like, I think that is okay to have a spirituality that is tied to Jesus. But if you are in an evangelical space. No, if you're coming from evangelicalism land, you have to actually deconstruct all that before you could 
build it back up again. Right, exactly. Like, I'm fine with people practicing a faith and spirituality that is like, I'm loved by Jesus, yes. right? Like, that is but, great. But, like, and I think especially when it's on social media, someone with a lot of followers, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Because that is an implicit message of, like, you need to stay within these bounds. Well, can we say something really quick? Maybe. Christians are nervous right now. They are anxious because the world is coming for them in ways. For for one, this is what I've told my whole life is that the world hated Christians and it doesn't seem like it didn't really match up because we had all the power and everything. Now I'm like, well, hey, it's happening. Like, <laughs> right. And y'all get to decide what you're going to do with that. Mm-hmm. But if one of your choices is to say like, I'll think about everything, but not Jesus. I'm like, okay, well, then you probably should be thinking about Jesus if you mm-hmm. ask me. Right. Um, and it's just been used as a, a tool of spiritual bypassing, of people not being held accountable, and for clinging to something that is personally nurturing to them, but keeping them on the sidelines of actually like taking down the toxic systems. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. 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 So I think this is so important to like this narrative that Yancey uses of like, well, it's not the church. It's not Jesus. It's the church. Yeah. Right, really dismisses that Jesus is an icon for Christianity, and especially mm-hmm. in the U.S., like white evangelical. One way, the whole point of Jesus is exclusivist claims. <laughs> I really want to just like put my way, yes, <laughs> put my finger. When up people with say one. I've deconstructed everything, but not Jesus, I'm like, that's the exclusivist part. Like you are telling me, because if you don't believe, I mean, if you believe that. There is no hell and you don't need to believe in Jesus to be saved. Then what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Talking to an imaginary person, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, but Jesus is the exclusivist part, mm-hmm. everyone. Mm-hmm. They're not right. talking about his teachings. Mm-hmm. They're not talking about his ethics. They're talking about his exclusivism mm-hmm. that they've created, you know? Yeah. Anywho, right. sorry. Yeah. No, we, there's so much to cover. So, um, one of the thing, another one of the parts that he brings up is this idea of like the world is broken, God uses it to make you a better person. Um, he says, for those of us who, yeah, I mean, it, it's really like it creates this sense of like mystery. I want to read this part because it both creates a sense of mystery and a sense of choice that I don't think actually exists in evangelicalism. He says. For whatever reason, God has let this broken world endure its fallen state for a long time. For those of us who live in that broken world, God seems to value character more than our comfort. So this idea Mm -hmm. of like, you know, these bad things are happening because it makes you a better person. Yeah, Christians have such good character. It's so true. (laughs) I love your little jabs. He says, a story is being written with an ending only fairly glimpsed by us. So there's that piece of like, just wait for the end, right? Mm-hmm. But here's what he says that I think is so gaslighty. Okay. We face the choice of trusting the author along the way or striking out alone. Uh-huh. Always we have a choice. Do we? Do did, we? Did Philip Yancey have a choice? If his mother dedicated him to God and spent his entire childhood literally saying, this is the only thing you can do to please me and please God. Exactly. Did he have a choice? No. No. Mm -mm. He doesn't even talk about that choice in the book. He's like. To walk away? Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Which I mean, it's funny because people reached out to me after my book and they're like, why didn't you talk about the choice of like 
leaving Christianity. And I'm like, well, I wrote a book for Zondervan, but I need to own that, right? Like, yeah. I recognize... I mean, I asked you that. <laughs> yes, it's true. And I think for me, I was like, part of it is like, I'm writing for Christians that are trying to have a better relationship with God. But yeah, I wish that I had said that. I do. And I think... But it's I, like you're changing. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that was exactly on your radar because you were trying to help people who were struggling, the, how you've struggled. And that's why I'm like, nobody can get it perfect, but the pressures within the Christian machine, when these doubts and cognitive dissonance builds and builds and builds, it's like, what I've seen is most people just dig their heels in, mm-hmm. or they say spiritual bypassing things like, I still have Jesus. And I'm saying you and I are committed to doing more than that. Mm-hmm. And so it it's just like, yeah, people who write books for Zondervan, in a few years, they might be like, I would want to add an extra chapter. Mm-hmm. That seems really actually normal and human development to me. Mm-hmm. And we shouldn't try and shame that. But it's just like, nobody wants to do that work in public. And that's what's hard. Right. And... I th- I just think it is I'm so upset that he says always we have a choice cuz within this evangelical framework I never felt like I had a choice to leave Christianity. No, and the choice is even though he pushes against this like I don't know what's going to happen to people that never heard about Jesus blah blah blah. But I mean I guess implicit in that is like if you heard about Jesus and you reject him then you go to hell. What kind of choice is that? It's like when you tell your kid like all right, like you have a choice to do your homework or not, but if you don't do your homework, you're not going to get internet until you do. And you know what's interesting is like, even with Yancey being like, I don't know if I believe in hell or not. That's another thing that I, I think is really interesting about progressive Christians. It's like, if I could ask them like, yeah, do you feel like you have a choice to leave Christianity or not? I'm, I'd be curious to hear people's responses because so many of us grew up with sort of like the fundamentalist elements being drilled into us to get us to become Christians. And even if we kind of shed some of those beliefs, like mm-hmm. it, if that's given to you in your formative years, right? you, you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Like you can cognitively say, I don't believe in hell anymore. But if that's the reason that you committed your life to a God that you feel like you owe something mm-hmm. to, like that will linger. Mm-hmm. And it's wild how I never felt like I had a choice to live. I, and you know who kept me in the faith? People like Anne Lamott and Nadia Boltz-Weber. And hey, Anne Lamott endorsed this book. Because <laughs> you know what they said? Writers like that, they said, I just have the gift of faith. Mm. And I was like, I have that too. Mm. And I never thought about it being childhood indoctrination. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'll just put that out there. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think it's so important. Like, I, just going over this stuff, because these are all the, like, this is the rationale that keeps people in, right? Mm-hmm. Trying to make it good. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, like, so there's this other part um, where basically it says, like, if you don't feel God, it's because you're not remembering to check in with God. And this really bothers me because it f- puts this, like, weird power differential, which I think happens a lot, but basically... Um, he says, I marvel at a God who puts himself at our mercy to be forgotten by us. What? Yes. And so he like turns this weird power dynamic of like, you know, if I get, if you get distracted from God, if you're not, he talks about like, I get distracted with my computer and weddings and friendships. And so it's my fault if I don't feel like God is close because, and I think, so I was thinking about this and I, 
he does it in such a non-blaming way that is still blaming. Yeah. And I think, like, I've taken part in this in a sense of, like, yeah, if you don't feel God, like, you need to make more space in your life for that. Which is different than, like, hey, do you want this resource? Like, do you want to take time for God? Yeah. But it's really, like, no, you are the problem. There's a problem here. You don't feel close to God, and it's up to you to get close and to God. And check in more, mm-hmm. which is somebody with, you know, moral scrupulosity. Like, that's really damaging advice that I took my whole life. Right. I mean, he says, like, at least with Job, with Job and all his things, like, Job was mad at God, but at least he was thinking about God the whole time. And I could go a day without giving God another thought. And that's the problem. I don't believe Philip Yancey goes a day without <laughs> thinking about God based off of all the books and everything he's written. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. So I don't really believe him, but it's just stupid shaming language. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad used to always tell this story, right, as a pastor, just like about an old couple, like riding around in a pickup truck. And when they were young, right? The wife used to sit next to him and, and then like later on when they're old, she's like, I'm I'm sad that we don't, you know, aren't close anymore. And he was like, who moved? Mm-hmm. You know, because she's sitting in the window seat, not in the uh-huh. center console seat. Uh, wow. Yes. And that's God. Uh-huh. I was like, who moved? Mm-hmm. Who moved away? Mm-hmm. It's not me. I'm the man driving the pickup truck and you're <laughs> right, the woman. The, the patriarchy. And yes. That. Right. And he has this list of like, okay, if you don't feel God, it's because you've moved. Yeah. Right. His next thing is, um, if you don't feel close to God, it's because you have childish expectations. He says, a Christian who expects God to Oh, you to just solve... want the things that you were promised at a church. Okay. <laughs> right. A Christian who expects God to solve all their problems is pursuing childish, mag- childish magic, not mature religion. But, yeah, you're a little stupid child, okay? Mm-hmm. Even though they tell you to pray all the time for right. God to intervene. Yes. It's so sad. It is so sad mm-hmm. when you take a step back from it. Right. Yeah. It's your fault if you don't pray and ask God to intervene, but it's your fault if you really hope that he will intervene. You know, mm-hmm. it's what a mind fuck. Right. There's no way to win in this system, Crispin. And it's infuriating to me. And then if those reasons don't work, here's the next one. Like, I think it's good to read these like sequentially. Cause it's, that's how it comes across is like, if it's not this thing, yeah. then here's the yeah. next reason. Here's like, he just has this list of like, if it doesn't work, like I, I let me throw all these different solutions at, or let me throw all these explanations yeah. at you. Maybe one of them will stick. He says, in an advanced state of maturity, we find ourselves alone facing stern trials without guidance on how to proceed, a fact of life that applies to spiritual maturity. If you don't feel God, you're like Martin Luther. You've gotten to Martin Luther yeah. status. Yeah, oh yeah. Who are the other people? They It's always Mother Teresa, right? Because right? she the, didn't feel God. Right, Dark Knight of the Soul. Yes, St. John right. of the Cross mm-hmm. or something like that. Um. Yeah. Which they talked about in... Uh, that book when God talks back, right? Yeah, she talked about like mm-hmm. this is a really this is a really normal ploy, especially in charismatic circles, right? Mm-hmm. You've ascended to this next spiritual plane if God is distant, and right. like the longer it lasts, like the more holy you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's this like either you hear from God and you're spiritual, or you don't hear from God and that means you're spiritual. Yeah, right. Like this is the way it's supposed to go. And you're not allowed to feel sad about it because, like, no, this is God, you know. Right. So sad. So this is, this next part is the biggest thing that I've, like, seen 
um, recently that for me has like I've wrestled with a bit. Um, basically, he says um, God hasn't promised to fix our lives. Uh, but God has promised to be present in the silence and in the dark, to exist alongside us, within us, and for us. So this idea of like nothing about mm-hmm. your life is going to change, mm-hmm. but God is with you. Mm-hmm. Now, this is hard to talk about because I clung to this for mm-hmm. so long. Well, I think it's where you end up when you're like, yeah, I don't believe that prayer will change anything. I don't believe that I will feel any better. So then it's like, well, what is the point of God? And it's like, well, God is still with you. Well, this is why I think towards my end of I can't deal with the cognitive dissonance of Christianity anymore, I hung out in Catholic anarchist land, right? Writing mm. about Dorothy Day, immersing myself. I would go to, you know, these Catholic places here in Portland, the grotto. And it's a very small land, by the way, <laughs> the Catholic anarchist land. But I land. found it. You know, I was fucking trying to right. make this good and make it work for me. Okay. Don't any, nobody can say I didn't try. Uh-huh. Um, and I remember like the grotto was so helpful for me because in Catholic traditions, right? There's so many more visible elements of a God who suffers, Jesus mm-hmm. who suffered and like Jesus dying on the cross or Jesus even like laid out dead. I've been to, you know, cathedrals in Mexico where there's life-size wax figures of like a dead decaying Jesus, you know, like mm-hmm. bruised and battered. And, and like, there's this, the famous Mary holding a limp dead Jesus, you know, the Piatta, like that really resonated with me. Like, Mary is holding a dead child mm-hmm. and is suffering. And like mm-hmm. God is there with her in that. Like, you know, I clung to these things of like a God who suffers. And that's why liberation theology, like all these people of color in particular that are drawn to that, I could not step back and say like, this is not actually working for me. I still think there's something really beautiful in humanity's longing for a God who suffers. Mm-hmm. So this is like a complicated one for me, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, right. And I, I was thinking about it is like, if that is helpful for you, yeah, then I think that's great. Yeah. I do think that if you are a evangelical mm-hmm. or, you know, part of that landscape and you're saying like, Nothing that was promised, mm-hmm. but you need to dedicate your life and your ideology and your finances and all these things to God. And what you get out of it is God is present with you. Mm-hmm. Like, I th- I think you need to be able to, I think it's important to ask people, like, is this a helpful thing for you to know that God is present? Or is it like, maybe there are other places you can look for solace. Because as much as like, I found that helpful, it it's still like in my everyday, I was so anguished at all the horrible things happening in our country, in our city, in our neighborhood, like, and just anguish. Like if God is here and suffering with us, like, why isn't God doing anything? Like, And it actually continued to bring up the ethical issues of an interventionist God mm-hmm. for me over and over and over again. And now that I've stepped away from all of that, it's just my mental health is a lot better. Mm. And so I don't personally believe in a God who suffers with us anymore. And I can see why that's beneficial for people. And yet at the same time, it it contributed to my just absolute anguish. If this God is loving, like, why is nothing being done? Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Yeah. And I think that there's a piece of also where marginalized groups, the idea of a suffering 
God has been politically powerful in a good way of like, hey, you believe in the Bible? Look at Jesus. Like Jesus, you know, hung out with marginalized people. Jesus suffers. Like it is a way of trying to get like uh, oppose the dominant theology piece, Mm -hmm. which has its place. But then when I'm online, I see people like that are talking about this, but then engaging with like, all right, well, let's go back to the Bible and like, do trans people deserve rights or not? And I'm like, yes, it can be a powerful tool of like trying to use a religious system to like change that system and get people that have power to like see it differently. But I also think it really has its limitations. Yeah. So totally. Anyway, I think uh, the this last piece that I want to bring up is has been the most powerful thing for me because I distinctly remember this um, this piece when I was sixteen, reading it, and it just getting really enshrined in my um, head. Um, so Yancey is talking about John six, where basically um, he has this hard teaching. He says. You have to eat my body and drink my blood <laughs> if you want to be, you know, with me. And everybody's like, you're, "This is so weird." <laughs> yeah, they're like, "You're a weirdo." This is hard teaching. Um, so everybody leaves except uh, the twelve. Um, and so, and I think I want to read this part because it, ew. <laughs> I want to read this part because I think it gives a sense of the the realness that Yancey um, shows up with. Um, while also upholding the party standard. He says, Sometimes I shy away from faith for lack of evidence. Sometimes I slink away in hurt or delusionment. And sometimes I turn aside in willful disobedience. Something, though, keeps drawing me back to God. What? I ask myself. And then he looks at Jesus and the Twelve. And um, after everybody else leaves, the Twelve are there And Jesus says, you don't want to leave me too? And Simon Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? So this idea of like, we're not going to leave because there's nowhere else to go. Like, where else would we go? Yancey says, that for me is the bottom line answer to why I stick around. Because the only thing more difficult than having a relationship with an invisible God is having no such relationship. Oh, so this idea of like, like no one to love you. Yeah, this is hard. Uh-huh. But like, who else is going to love you? It's like that yeah. band of horses song where he says, "Are you going to use that to play us out of this yes, episode?" <laughs> no okay. one's going to love you more than I do. Yeah. Right. It has a sort of like it's, narcissistic, it's very abusive. If you ask me. Yeah. Right. And that really, like, I think me hearing that at sixteen. Yeah. It's really sad. Really made me think. Okay. Like I can't. Like I can't look to. I can't love myself. Right. I can't look to like healthy community no. to love me. I can't only go to God. therapy. Mm-hmm. Like I have to work this out with God because the only place I'm going to get the love that I need is from God. And Lord, so I'm Lord, gonna... to whom else should we go? Could right. we go? And that's to me again, like the childhood indoctrination stuff obviously is that play there for Yancey. And, you know, it's clear that he is a true believer. I don't think he's a narcissist and wanting to perpetuate abusive relationships. I think he is somebody who had a really traumatic childhood and he had CPTSD from it and was trying to work it out like this. Mm-hmm. And I think there's this element of like, he probably in a lot of ways did experience love from God in a way that he did not experience from his mom. Yeah. And so then from there, it's like, okay, well I have experienced something that I haven't experienced anywhere else. 
So that must make it true. So then how do I make it true the rest of my life? Yeah. I mean, that's what's just so interesting about Christian and Christian theology and Christian self-help and all this stuff, because this is basically Christian self-help, right? Mm -hmm. I just see like people who are doing trauma work and all this stuff, they're very upfront about the fact like... I understand this stuff because I've worked with so many people. I've also experienced it. And Christians just like can't go there. They're just Mm. like, no, I just love God. Like, who else could I go to? Like, God Mm. is so great. And it's like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Or they use their personal experiences to say, yes, I've suffered. I've seen the worst. And God is what helped me. So it must be the answer for everybody else. Yeah, even though when we can clearly see it hasn't really helped all that much. Um, mm-hmm. can I can I share something at the end because we got to wrap this up? All right, wrap it up. Okay, so as we're wrapping this up, I want to just read a quote from the Christianity Today review of Philip Yancey's memoir. Okay. Okay, and we so can... this is the review of the from the publication uh-huh. where he was on staff for thirty years. He got five continues. stars. Five stars, okay, for this honest exploration of his life, okay? Um, And this is written by, like, a Christian lady author, and she loved the book. And then she said, and this is what she, because she talks about his fundamentals as a mom and how horrifying it is and everything. Then she says, clearly Yancey's pain has been more than useful to the church at large. His books, selling more than 17 million copies in 50 languages, have reassured many that Christian faith leaves room for doubt and suffering as well as hope. Where the Light Fell backlights every one of these books, providing the chapter I hadn't known was missing. And to me, that's just so horrifying. Like, his pain has been useful. He took the pain of this wretched upbringing, abusive Mm -hmm. Christian indoctrination of it, and like, he used his pain Mm -hmm. to write, to sell 17 million copies of books that convince people to stay in an abusive uh, religion. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, there we have it. Five star review from Christianity Today. He's yeah. honest about all this stuff, but he still tells people to stay. So, right. That is very clear, just a, a function of what this is. So important. I'm so glad you brought that in. Sorry, this is a lot. lovers. This is a lot. <laughs> I think it, it, it's, it is so important to look at because. And this I've, is definitely a book from the bad place, if you ask me. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So we'll wrap it up there. We'll leave it there. We just talked through a lot of stuff. Um, we'd love to hear in the Facebook group about like how you are interacting with this stuff and thinking about like what are the ways that uh, you found to make Christianity good that mm-hmm. either has worked for you or like you found actually was like kind of keeping you from stepping out the door when you would have otherwise. Yeah. And if people are looking for a resource, the I was a teenage fundamentalist podcast. They actually interviewed Yancey and it was kind of triggering for me. But then they did something really cool, which is they did sort of like a process bonus episode where Troy and Brian talk about their experience of interviewing Yancey and their emotions and kind of the roller kind coaster. Of their triggers, right? Yeah, because they're like, this guy is good. Like we like him, but like he just doesn't get it in a way. So it's very fascinating. Um if people are not as intense as me and are in Crispin as Crispin's showing <laughs> his his college. Like that might be a really interesting experience for you to just let Philip Yancey kind of talk in his own words. And then have some people process like what that was like um, interviewing him. So 
Yeah, it was really cool that Uh they did that. I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to mention that and then I forgot. Oh. (laughs) um, But thanks, y'all, for being a part of this community and the support um, and talking about Yancey. I do believe that next time we'll be back on our Dobson beat. Um, We just got to alternate between narcissists and true believers. Yeah, that's a great way of looking at it. As two former true believers. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) All right. We'll be back soon. In the world Every gonna love you more than I do No one's gonna love you more than I do Someone They should have warned you We hope you enjoyed listening to this conversation that usually just our Patreons here If you want to join our Patreon community and hear more of these conversations, you can go to the link in the show notes. We have memberships at $4 a month and $8 a month. You get these extra episodes. You also get extra episodes talking about the good place and listener questions and also a Facebook community. So if that sounds up your alley, you can join us over there at patreon.com slash this is the bad place or just follow the link in the show notes. Thank you all for listening and we'll be back soon.